0: And I want to begin reading with verse 3. And while he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her, but Jesus said, "Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. For the poor, you always have with you. Whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be broken. Shall be spoken of me in memory of her." All of us have different preaching styles. Of course, uh, Brother uh, Aaron had the style of walking back and forth, and uh, most of the young preachers today uh, have that style. And uh, when you get to my age, you just conserve all the energy you can get, and I just stand behind the pulpit or the lectern and hold on to it uh, in that sense. But, you know, the emphasis is not how we present the gospel. The emphasis that really counts is the gospel we present, the word of God that we stake true uh, to the word of God, And that's what I've tried to do all of my life. Now, you have to read all the gospel accounts in order to get all the details about what this woman really did on that occasion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to focus on what she did. I'm going to focus on what Jesus said about her. It's interesting to note that the disciples were criticizing her, but you'll not find any account in the Bible where the disciples really uh, expressed the love and concern and grace that this woman expressed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They spent their time arguing with one another about who was the, the greatest. Uh, so many times that was the case with the, uh, with the disciples in that. Uh, she's a favorite of mine because she did what she could. And that's what Jesus said. Uh, as long as history exists, she'll be spoken of. As long as the word of God is taught, as long as preachers are preaching, Jesus said this woman It will be a memorial to her because she did what she could do. And that's the thing I really like about her is the fact that she not only worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ and was not ashamed to show her love and devotion to him, but she also was doing that which she could do in preparing him for the time in which he was going to go to the cross of Calvary. Now, she couldn't lead A group of Israelites the way Moses did. Some three to three and a half million. It just depends on who's estimating it. But when you study how many men there were, and knowing that most men had multiple wives and they all had children, uh, it's not, I don't think, a stretch of our imagination to think that it could have been as many as three to three and a half million of people that Moses led. She could not lead the way Moses did. And uh, neither could she uh, prophesy the way Isaiah was able to prophesy. And neither could she speak with the power of performing miracles the way Elijah or Elisha did, and she could not interpret dreams the way Joseph and Daniel did, but she could do something. And the thing she could do, that's exactly what she did. And so the Bible says, So then each one of us shall give an account unto God for himself. So she didn't concern herself with trying to do what others did, because she couldn't. She wasn't comparing herself to others because... That never accomplishes anything but negative when we compare ourselves to somebody else. If I could just sing like that person, if I could just uh, teach like that person, if I just understood the Bible with that person, if I could just witness away that person, God made us all different and God gave each of us gifts. Every Christian has a gift. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, every Christian has a gift. And the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us is different than our natural abilities that we may have uh, in any area of our life. And so, Jesus made it very clear. The Word of God makes it very clear. Then, so then each of us should give an account unto God for ourselves. I'm not responsible for how you live your life, and you're not responsible for how I live my life. Now, we are responsible to try to influence one another to live our lives in a way that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we stand before the Lord, He's not going to say to me, you know what, you didn't live the way John so-and-so did. You didn't live the way John Kerry did. You didn't live the way... Ethel did. No, it's just simply going to be, I'm going to give an account to God for myself. I'm not going to be accountable for you or for anyone else as we stand before God of whether or not we did what we should do, whether or not we live for the Lord the way we should. Our influence is to be a positive way. And in that way, but I'm not accountable to God if you fail. And you're not accountable to God if I fail. In a sense, she simply did what she could and so when we compare ourselves to others all we're doing is going down the road of discouragement and defeat because god does not compare us with anyone else and we should not compare ourselves to them else either we never know what we can do until we try it's better to try and to fail than it is to not try at all and so she did what she could most of us can do more than we think we can do and most of us can do things in service to jesus we don't think we really can do. All we have to do is simply present ourselves to him and then make the effort to do what we can do. Now, those of you that know me, you know that I've been in the ministry now for over 60 years. But it's always been outside my comfort zone. And you do have to get outside your comfort zone in order to accomplish and do what God calls you to do. And all of us have comfort zones. All of us have areas in our life in which we're just... Just uncomfortable. And so being a pastor and preaching has always been outside my comfort zone. But I've often thought of what a joy I would have missed in all of the fulfillments and the blessings and all the friends that God has given to me over these years had I refused to get outside my comfort zone and respond to God's call to the ministry. When I was first saved, I had a number of people. I went back to Williams, Oklahoma. The man who influenced my life more than anyone else except my mother was Joe Hawthorne, who was the principal and the teacher. I mean, he was the whole ball of wax and the basketball coach and, and, uh, and the whole thing. But he had such a positive influence on my life. He taught Sunday school in the Baptist church, but I did not go to church. My family, of course, as you know, uh, was not uh, a Christian family uh, in, uh, in that sense. But the first thing I wanted to do after I was saved was to go back to Williams, Oklahoma and tell Joe Hawthorne that I accepted Christ as my Savior. The first thing he said to me was, are you going to be a preacher? And I didn't know where it's coming from. I said, my goodness, no, I could never be a preacher. And other people would say to me, are you going to be a preacher? And I'd say, absolutely not. I had a, I had a superintendent at where I worked that by his language and his actions, you would have never known he'd ever been inside of a church building. But he'd say to me, you ought to be preaching. Bob, you ought to be preaching. And I'd say, Marsha, you're you're crazy. I couldn't preach. And one day he said that to me, and I said, God, are you trying to tell me something through a man that gives no evidence he even knows you? If you say you're on top of this building and shout, Jesus saves, I'll start looking for a ladder. Now, I didn't have any emotional feeling. There was not any voice from heaven. There wasn't any writings on the wall. But the Spirit of God said, I want you to preach. The following Sunday, I announced before the congregation God had called me uh, to preach, but I've never been comfortable in that zone. But, oh, I would have missed so much had I not been willing to do what God called me to do and simply do what I could. I never turned down a funeral. I do Most of the funerals I do today, I've never met the person, never met the family, until I sat down with them to plan the memorial service for their loved one. And I say to them right up front, I don't do this because I don't have anything else to do. I do this because I want to serve Jesus. And to serve Jesus, I have to serve people. Because Jesus has no need. And I want to assure you that I'm going to do the best I can to memorialize your service and to minister to you as I would if it was a member of my own family. Or if I'd known you for 30 years. I'm going to do the very best that I can. Because I'm doing it to serve Jesus and to serve Jesus I have to serve people. People don't need encouragement. People don't need someone to hold their hand. People don't need someone to be by their side when they're going through a very difficult time. But, I mean, Jesus doesn't, but people do. Jesus doesn't need anything, but people do. And I cannot serve Jesus without serving people. And you cannot serve Jesus without serving people. That's why the Bible has so much to say about serving one another, about preferring others above ourselves. Because inasmuch as you've done it to one of the least of these, in my name, you've done it unto me. She did what she could, and I'm going to do what I can, and you must do what you can. I can't preach like Billy Graham. I can't travel the world the way Billy Graham did. God didn't call me to do that. There's only one Billy Graham. Franklin Graham, his son, couldn't do it. But Franklin Graham, his son, is doing a ministry that Billy Graham couldn't have done. I mean, around the world. Samaritan's Purse is touching lives, and people are being saved. By the thousands around the world through the ministry of a man was, that was handpicked by God. The man that established World Vision was voted out by his board because they were not as visionary as he was. They felt he was taking too many risks. And he founded Samaritan's Purse. Lying on his deathbed, he called Franklin Graham in because Franklin Graham had gone with him on a lot of his trips. And he said, God has chosen you to take up where I'm leaving off. And Franklin Graham has done more than his predecessor had ever done. But God didn't ask me to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not called to do that. Maybe you're not called to do what somebody else does, but every Christian is called to do what they can in the name of Christ to minister uh, to others. When I was first thrust into the ministry, the interesting thing about it, dear friends, is I was the associate pastor, and the first assignment that was given to me was that there was the need for the building of cabinets in the primary department opening assembly. I want you to be responsible for that. I would never build a chicken coop. I couldn't build a chicken coop today if I was asked to do it. I can cut a board off three times and it'll still be too short. I just, I, I, have not, I just can't do that. But i tell you what I could do. I could tell a carpenter, a finished carpenter, what I wanted and let him do it. That was what I could do. I couldn't build them, but I could at least say to an individual, you do it. The next responsibility that the pastor gave me was to be over the forward program of church finance. Now, you've got to be as old as I am to know what the forward program of church finance was in the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a way of establishing the budget and raising the budget for the year. I'm responsible now for overseeing the Forward Program Church Finance to raise the budget for the whole year. I didn't even have a bank account. I had never written a check in my life. And now he's asking me to do that. I couldn't do it. But I'll tell you what I could do. I could gather around me people that didn't know how to do it and work with them and let them do it. It's been my joy and privilege to be involved in, in church building programs throughout my ministry. Renovating buildings as we did here. Building buildings. Can I read blueprints? Can I make out a blueprint? No. I can do what I can do, which is simply get with an architect and say, this is what we need, this is what we want, this is way you do it. When we built to work in uh, in Raymore, I went to the architect and said, "Need you to do the architectural work? Need you to be sure that all the engineers are taken care of in that sense? And when it's done, we'll pay you a fat flea a fee, and you'll be out of it." And then I supervised the building of the building. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do anything those men did. I couldn't do anything the architects did. But I did what I could. I could go to the people who could do it and say to them, this is what needs to be, uh, to be done. Any success that I've had in the ministry, which is not a whole lot of success from my point of view. I've never been the kind of pastor or the kind of preacher that I would have liked to have been, but I can say I've always done the best I could, and I've always said I've done what I could to do that. And the reason for it is that I always spend a lot of time in prayer. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. And so I've always spent a lot of time in prayer. And I've always sought counsel. The Bible says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So I sought the counsel, first of all, from God. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God. And then I sought the counsel of others who knew how to do the job. I sought their counsel. And then I practiced the counsel of God's Word that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Do it to the best of your ability. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We all can do that. And then I knew and acknowledged where my true source came from. And that any success I could have in my life had to be dependent upon God working through His Holy Spirit in my life and in whatever projects that I had to do. Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And I used to say, you know what, I can be a failure, but without the Lord's help I can't be a good failure. Whatever you do, Do it as unto the Lord. I've said in committee meetings more times than I can count when they spent their time discussing why something couldn't be done. But it's always been a blessing of God that I've always had one or two or three in the church that have come alongside of me and we would do it while the committee was saying that it couldn't be done. If committees could get the job done, Southern Baptists would have saved the world by themselves. We simply have to do what we can do. And each of us has something that we can do. No doubt about it. God never leads us to do anything He doesn't give us the ability to do. And God never leads us to do anything He never gives us the resources to do. Some of you will remember when your flat roof, you had so much tire you'd put on it, it'd run down the walls on the inside. You remember when you got those big old 30-gallon trash bags to catch the water that was coming in. You remember that. And you remember all that you were able to do with just a little bit of encouragement. I said, this is unacceptable. You said, we know it, but we don't have the money to do it. I said, God has his money. Cattle on thousand hills belongs to him. I mean, he's not in any recession. And you did it. You did it. And you didn't borrow money to do it. Because you did what you could do. You know one of the things you did? You came up here and worked and worked and worked. That's the way you did it. We had others that came and helped us from other churches. Because we simply did what we could do. God will honor us doing what we can do. If we don't allow others to discourage us. If we don't allow the naysayers to keep us from trying. I won't mention the church, but one of the churches where I was serving is interim. Uh, in the area, not in Kansas, but over on the Missouri side, I scheduled a work day. I mean, when they had baptismal services, they got baptized in their bathing suits. Now, to me, being baptized, I, I realize it's not the dress. But listen, there isn't anything that takes place in the church that's more important than somebody confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They had no dressing rooms. They had nothing. And I said, you know, we need some dressing room. We need to do this. We need to do that. So I called a work day. One of the men came to me and said, it won't work. We've tried that before. We've had work days before. Nobody will show up. So I got in the pulpit and said, I've been told that nobody will show up. But you know what? I've been doing this throughout my ministry, and nobody has refused to show up. So don't you spoil my record. When we had a work day, I had scheduled it from 9 to 12. Within an hour's time, we had so many people that were there. Everything was done, and I sent them home. Because, you see, I challenged them to do what they could do. I had the materials on site. I had everything that needed to be done as they came they walked in the door and said what do you want me to do and I said you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that I couldn't have done it but I could tell them to do it I'm good at telling people how to do things or what to do really I was in a Sunday school class of a church where I was was preaching and they were discussing the thing one of the ladies said well well maybe brother Bob has an opinion I said I got an opinion on everything may not be right but I have opinions." You see, we have to do what we can do and not allow others to discourage us from at least trying. Because if we don't try, we certainly are going to fail. I like what Henry Van Dyke said, The woods would be silent if no one sang except those who sang the best. You know, aren't you glad God said make a joyful sound unto the Lord? Aren't you glad? All the birds sing. Some sing better than others, but they sing. Theodore Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Now, you're in a time in which if you allow it, the ministry of this church can go down. But if everybody from senior adults down to the children will do everything you can do, just what you can do. This church can go forward and can keep on the way God intends for it to do. Edward uh, Hall said, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And because I can't do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Everybody can do something. You can do something. God said to those of us that are senior adults, you can still bloom and blossom in your old age. I'll still bless you. I'll still use you. Am I going to preach as long as I have opportunities and I'm able to stand behind a pulpit? Absolutely. But when I can't do that, I'll find something I can do. I'll find something that I can do to serve my Lord. The challenge I want to lay before you in the conclusion is, I can sit in the stands while others are in the service game and watch them. And while sitting in the stands watching, I can complain and criticize because I don't like the way that they're doing it. And three, I can get into the service game and do the thing that I can do to carry my share of the service load and the Lord's commission. God has a passion. Jesus has a passion. I have a message I preach on God's passion. A message on our passion. God's passion is saving people. Jesus' passion is saving people. My passion must be the saving of people and then discipling and maturing them so they can go out. So that it's not addition, it is multiplication. That's God's program. Recently, I said to to Rosie after a service, I said, you know, I've been thinking how long it's been since I've really ever heard a good evangelistic message. How long has it been since church has put a real emphasis on evangelizing? The one thing about Sharon, uh, Heron that, that, that won my heart and I appreciated so much about him was his passion to see people come to know Christ. We all need that kind of passion. In less than a week, probably about a week, less than two weeks, in our state Baptist paper, there was a quote from one of our convention president. Seminary presidents made this statement. He said, in all my life of service for the Lord, I've never seen as much less evangelistic preaching and as much evangelistic emphasis in the church as I've been seeing over the last five years. And what's the result? Southern Baptist churches are dying all across our land. The doors are closing. I had a call just this week from an individual in another state that said, you know, we have decided as deacons to go before the church this coming Sunday morning, today, and simply tell the congregation, we're either going to have to, all of us do what we can do, or we're going to close the doors. He said, we've been fighting for 50 years. Power struggles have been going on for 50 years. We're under the judgment of God. As a congregation, that that, that was his words. When we lose our passion to win people to Jesus and lose our passion to help those that are converts to grow and mature in the Lord, we've lost the commission that our Lord gave to us to do. I want to be somebody that does what I can to help somebody come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This past week, Rosie and I were in, in Wendy's. We were sitting there eating. A couple came in. Five teenagers. Five teenagers. Sat down at the table across from us. He said, let's pray. He gave thanks to the Lord. We got ready to leave. I walked over and said, I just want to express my gratitude and congratulate you that you were willing to pray publicly. He didn't pray to where everybody in the restaurant could hear him. Didn't make a spectacle of it. But he at least was not ashamed to pray. Years ago, I was traveling, going to a a wedding that I was to conduct in another state. I'd taken a co-worker friend of mine with me, and when we sat down to eat, we just prayed. One of the waitresses walked over to me and said, "I, I see that you're probably Christians because... You did what most people don't do. I saw you bow and pray. I've really got some problems. Would you have the time to talk with me? See, an opportunity to minister simply because I did such a little feat is not to make a spectacle of myself, but just to bow my head and my friend, and we thank the Lord. Just doing what we can do. We touch the lives of people all of the time. We just need to do what God has asked us to do. And that's just do what we can do. Get in the game. St. Francis of Assisi said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. For it is in giving that we receive. Young Borden. I was a student. Rosie and I were students at Southwest Baptist University. College now. University now was college then. Back in the 50s. Young Borden in his 20s, I believe he was 27, 28, 29, in that area, turned his back on all of the fortunes of the Borden wealth to go to the mission field. When criticized, they didn't understand it. This is what he said. It is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to get that which he cannot lose. It is no fool that gives up that which he cannot keep. Nobody keeps the wealth to gain that which he cannot lose. I met two or three times of a medical doctor who left the Philippines to go to Africa to minister in the profession that he was in. But the overflow was the establishment of a number of churches through his ministry. His mother said to him, you have got to be a fool to turn your back on the profession you could have as a doctor in the Philippines to go to Africa. But you see, he was no fool to give up that which he could not keep in order to gain and which he cannot lose. And he was on his way to go back to Africa when he preached at the church where I was serving an in interim. Doing what he could do to serve the Lord. Now, there's only one thing, dear friends, that you cannot do. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. And there's not one thing you can do that will save you. Because Jesus already done it all. That's what I should have said. There's not one thing you can do to save yourself. Jesus has already done it all. You don't need to do anything to save yourself. Except just accept as a free gift God's grace and mercy extended to you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll get the gift of eternal life. For the present and for the eternity.
1: Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you have a prayer request or any other need, we would love to hear from you. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. Or call us at 620-848-3347. You may find us on Facebook and online at rivertonfbc.com. Our Sunday school classes begin at 9.45 a.m. with worship services at 10.45 a.m. In addition, small group Bible studies meet on Sunday nights in various homes within the community. Please join us on Wednesday nights for a community-wide meal at 6, followed by Bible study for all ages at 7. The church is located at 6895 Southeast Bluebird Lane just 2 blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop or 1 block south of Community Bank and Trust and 1 block west. This is downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning at 8:30 for another exciting message from God's word. Have a great week and God bless.